Welcome to Brighton Adventure Story Podcast. Chapter 13. Difficult Questions. Why, oh why, did James always have to make such terrible decisions? Hello, Mrs. Patey said. Are you still there? Yes, thanks, Jenny said. I'll catch him online later. Bye. She hung up and looked numbly at her sister. What? Annabel gave a nonchalant shrug. I told him not to go up there. If he wants to mess with the long, shut up, Jenny snapped. He could be in big trouble, and so could you be if you don't help me. I'll go and wake Mum and Dad up right now and tell them about... You really think that they'll care, Annabel said. They'd probably just say, they're there, and give me another look of disappointment. They might not care, Jenny said. But the long man surely won't be pleased when I turn up and tell him that you've told me all about his plans. He wouldn't believe you, she said. And you can't go up there. He won't like it. It's not safe around him. He's dangerous. I thought you said he was a great guy helping out the youth of Brighton, Jenny said, opening the kitchen door. I don't have time to argue with you. James has no idea what he's walking into, or cycling. At least do me one thing. She pulled another dog treat from her coat pocket and tore it in half. Go to the clock tower in Preston Park. Find Zen and Bobby. They're rats. Give them the dog treat and tell them to meet me up at the hill fort. I'm going to cycle up there now and try and catch James. She held out the dog treats. Annabel didn't move. She just looked at the treats and then closed her eyes and let out a big sigh. This better not ruin my lockdown. She got up from the table. Keep the treat, she said, grabbing a bunch of keys from a basket on the microwave. If I drive, we can get there before your boyfriend. Good idea, Jenny said. And he's not my boyfriend. Neither girl said anything as they left the house and got into the car. There were no other drivers on their road or Preston Drove, which was a good thing, as Annabel didn't seem to understand the concept of driving on the left. Jenny flinched hard when they swerved round a bollard and almost clipped a parked car. It'll come back to me, Annabel said. I haven't driven in ages, and I've been out all night. That doesn't help. Halfway up Ditchling Road, Jenny saw the lengthy queue outside Raven's Bakery. She wished she'd had some cereal instead of the cup of tea. They passed Vandine School and the speed limit went up to 40 miles an hour. Annabel changed gear jerkily and Jenny welcomed the slow change in acceleration with dread. It was a straight uphill run all the way to the fort. Not that you could tell by Annabel's driving. Just dodging a pothole, she said as they crossed the middle of the road and went round an island on the wrong side. Any sign of him? No, Jenny said stiffly tensing her body to try and stay in her seat. Annabel swung the car off the road and bumped into the little lay-by parking area by the 17th hole. Oh no, Jenny said, looking across the golf course. Across the fairway and further up the hill, she could see a tiny figure on a bike. It was James. He was just reaching the bank that marked the hill fort. At the same time, coming out of the woods onto a footpath, halfway between the car and James, was the long man. His great strides carried him fast towards James. The pine martin, Skady, flowed effortlessly over the grass next to him. The priestess's warning replayed in Jenny's mind. Get Zen and Bobby, she said, unclicking her seatbelt and shoving the strips of meat onto the dashboard. Quickly. What are you going to do? Annabel asked. You can't. Get the rats. I'm just going to warn James. Go. Jenny got out and slammed the car door. Annabel was just staring at her through the window. Go, she shouted, thumping the bonnet with her fist. There was a graunch as Annabel changed gear and the car started moving backwards. 
Jenny set off at a sprint across the dewy grass. Soon her trainers were soaked. She pushed on and reached the track across the next fairway as the long man disappeared from sight. The hill fort was aptly named. It was uphill all the way, and Jenny was thoroughly out of breath by the time she reached the chalky path that ran along the top of the bank. She slowed, controlling her breathing as best she could. Quickly and quietly, she took the path up between the gorse bushes and toward the trig point. The wide concrete post came into view. It was open, hinged onto its side, revealing the entrance to the hall under the fort. There was no sign at all of the long man or Skady. Jenny crept closer. The trig point started to raise on its own, swinging upward into its more usual position. Jenny breathed a sigh of relief. Perhaps James had come and gone already. And then she saw his bike leaning against a gorse bush and let out a groan. She was too late. The long man must have found him. Oh no, she said, hastening over the last few metres to the closing door. It was at 45 degrees now, easing soundlessly and smoothly over the tunnel entrance. Without the badger stone, she couldn't reopen it, but she couldn't leave James on his own either. Without thinking, she scrambled to her knees and dropped into the darkness, landing with a soft thud on the earthen floor. She stood and saw the empty tunnel ahead of her. Then, as the trig point closed above her, she thought she heard someone call her name. It must have been her sister, coming back to check on her. She can't have gone to get the rats after all. Stupid Annabelle. After that, everything was quiet and dark around her. Jenny stood still for a moment and listened. Nothing. That was good. At least it was better than a scream from James. Less good was the fact that her torch was in her bag, and her bag was still at home in her bedroom. It was a single passageway all the way to the king under the fort's front door. With one hand touching the wall for bearing, she set off to find her friend. The passage sloped gently down and turned a gentle turn. It was not long before she could see the outline of the thick oak door to the great hall. She slowed, creeping forward as silently as possible. The door was propped open with an animal skull, just as it had been last time Jenny visited the king. It was quiet. Too quiet. She leaned forward, trying to hear anything from the hall beyond. The sound of her jacket sleeves rubbing seemed to drown out everything else. Holding her arms away from her body, she took the last steps forward even more slowly, inching toward the open crack in the door. Just when Jenny thought that there was no way that there could be anything living beyond the door, a different smell seeped into the earthy air. A bad smell, of old meat and decay. Come in, a voice said from beyond the door. It was all Jenny could do not to jump out of her skin. The voice was calm and even, but it hit her like a starter pistol. She moved a foot slowly backward, ready to run. I said come in, creeper, the voice said, and don't think of going back the way you came. A good friend of mine is right behind you. As much as Jenny did not want to go into the hall, the idea that Skady was skulking around behind her in the dark tunnel propelled her through the door and into the great hall with haste. It was much as she remembered. A small fire glowing within a grand fireplace, a strange chandelier filled with unlit candles, a sturdy wooden throne and a great table for feasting. 
The dark wooden panelled walls were covered with paintings of previous kings and bookcases piled with more than just books. By the fire, in the king under the fort's most comfortable chair, sat the long man. Take a seat. It was not a question. He gestured to the armchair opposite. Jenny hesitated, then a movement on the floor made her jump. It was the pine martin, scaly, melting out from the shadows. She didn't need any more encouragement and almost ran to the armchair. She perched on the edge of the worn fabric. The pine martin followed, smoothly stealing across the stone floor. It made no noise, even when it vaulted the great table. Satisfied that the girl was in the right place, it curled itself neatly by the long man's feet. Jenny caught a whiff of the smell again and realised that it must be coming from the creature. "'We don't get many visitors down here,' the long man said. "'That's something I've got in common with the grumpy old badger, at least. But here you are.' He stared at Jenny through grey eyes, examining her in the same way that the priestess or the orattle had done. His face was leathered and lined, his skin dark from a life outside. But his eyes were different— older somehow. She held his stare, then broke off and looked at the fire. "'I would have had Skady dispatch you in the tunnel,' he said, "'but I was told you might be useful, and I see now that could be true.' He gave Skady a rub behind the ears. There was a sound from behind the feasting table, and three polecats shuffled over. They stood in a row on the edge of the fireside rug, heads hung like remorseful schoolchildren ready to be told off. They were the same three from Hegel's chamber. Well, the long man prompted. The three polecats slowly raised their heads. That's her, the ringleader said, excitement in its voice. She's the one that jumped us in the prickle pig's kitchen. Is it true, the long man said, did you best these three miserable cats? They were wrecking Hegel's chamber, she said, and they were going to eat my next but one neighbour's dog. The long man turned back to the three polecats. They instantly looked down at the floor again. And now, because of your incompetence, the sentinel is locked up tighter than Bodium Castle. We searched it and there was nothing there, the ringleader said, desperation in its voice. She took us by surprise. Enough, the long man cut him off. You're lucky I haven't given you to Skady already. But I have another task for you. And you better not mess this one up. There's a bicycle up by the entrance to this hall. Go and have a look and check that the owner isn't snooping around, and if they are, get rid of them. The three polecats didn't need telling twice, and almost fell over each other in their rush to the door. The long man turned his attention back to Jenny. Now, you see your actions at the Sentinel have inconvenienced me, he said finally, but it's possible that you can help me find the item I'm seeking. I would have squeezed the answer out of that fat badger, but he ran away before I could ask him. And now, here you are, and for your sake, I hope you know the answer to my question. Jenny said nothing. Tell me, where is the stone? She thought of the twin elms. They were not just Hegel's house. They were the sentinelms, designed to protect a powerful artefact, and she wasn't about to tell the long man where it was hidden. If you want the badger stone, she said, I don't have it. I lost it at Christmas time. It fell through a hole in the air. I'm not interested in some trinket souvenir, he said. And though I would like to know more about the hole in the air, 
that can wait. I am in need of a change in the weather. Even I can't make it rain when I want. So tell me, where is the Stone of Brighthelm? Don't forget that if you are listening, and it is around the 19th of May 2020, then please give me an email at tom at brightonadventure.com if you fancy being included in the story as a member of the Green Hands gang. I've had a few emails already, so I've got some names lined up, but if you want to join them, there's still plenty of room. Anyway, thanks for listening.